This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, October 17th of 2019, it's episode 164. In this episode, monsters as fears and diseases, plus our favorite holidays, catching up after two busy months, our various geekeries, some Halloween stories, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And we're finally all three together on the mics without a guest for the first time in like two months. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. So it's been a while. We have a pretty big topic to get to. We're talking about monsters tonight because hey, Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> uh, when this comes out, it should be like nearly halloween if not actually on halloween i haven't checked the calendar it's yeah it's like two days before it's the 29th that this should be dropping yeah we're gonna record our next episode on halloween booyah well maybe maybe it depends on how trick-or-treating goes with the kids honestly yeah also depends on another set of factors but yeah fair what have everybody what's everybody been up to how how have things been going uh the game at work has been going pretty well Still have yet to actually get, like, the full contingent of all the players, and it's not going to happen this weekend because I'm going to be going to a convention. That's that's a thing. The convention has nothing to do with gaming, by the way. It's 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 just... Uh, Library stuff? No, it's it's uh, a fashion convention, which feels really weird to say. I'm not really a fashion person, but one of my favorite YouTubers is going to a fashion convention in Toronto, and... Uh, she makes fun of Japanese designer dresses. Okay, you first off need to let my wife know about this. I will. I will. <laughs> because uh, she will geek out about this with you. Probably, oh, yeah. yes. Very much so. Yeah, Chrissy in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. I am looking forward to to talking with Chrissy about that specifically. I'm also going with my mom, and uh, that, that should be interesting because she's also not super into like designer style fashion stuff mm-hmm. it's so it's, it's it's just gonna be interesting but yeah so the game at work has been it's it's been going i'm currently i'm probably gonna spend the most of the trip down to toronto thinking about things to throw at the kiddos so that should be good good choice peter I haven't had my first session of the new game that I've started on Sunday afternoons yet. That should be coming up a couple days after we record this, so I have nothing to report yet, but stay tuned. My life is very mundane. I don't have much else to report. Nope, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, You did get your car back after untold hours of... Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife and I had a car that was in the shop for, I kid you not, something like 10 weeks. Ugh. Yeah. I didn't not- know it was that long. Like, oh, thinking yeah. about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it was 10 weeks, but like, oh, my goodness. Kind of a, a whole saga there. Oh, yeah. We, we could have a car podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really just, uh, I can't even really hold it too terribly against anybody for anything other than lack of communication, but it's just, yeah, yeah, it's a whole saga. Let's move yeah. on before I... Before we turn it into a car rant podcast? Before I, like, wail into the abyss or something? Yeah. Yeah, that too. All right. As for me, let's see. Uh, I had a whole bunch of crazy work stuff happen that has all kind of quieted down, thank goodness. 
trying to get back on track, trying to get back on track running games, hopefully, and I'm, I'm probably cursing it just by saying it out loud, but hopefully we will have a vampire session this weekend and then kick off some more Eberron very, very soon. So that'll be exciting. Fingers crossed. I would like to do more Eberron yesterday, so... <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Hold your horses. I, I'm i not holding it against you. I just really liked that game, and I am anxious to get back to it. Yeah, me too. It's just, so, ugh, I gotta get back in game prep mode. Uh, believe me, I understand. I've been on a pulp kick lately, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, hmm. Working my way through the Lensman series, which hopefully you know. Um, Hang on a not second. Not only do I, no, you don't. I, I know of okay. and I have the grips uh, book. I'm getting there. Uh, oh, I know this one actually. Okay, I do. Yeah. Know it. Okay. So for the listeners who don't know it, um, the Lensman series by E. E. Doc Smith was written in the late 30s, I think, late 1930s. It may have continued on into the 40s. I don't rem- remember exactly when, but it was published as serial fiction in astounding science fiction or amazing science. I think it was astounding science fiction. It's really good. It's amazing pulp space opera. With very super-powered, like, it's, heroes, too, right? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's psychic powers. It's also what the original authors of the Green Lantern comics ripped off wholesale <laughs> to create the character. Okay. They've, actually, they've, they've publicly acknowledged that, and there are <laughs> references to the Lensman series in the setting pieces that came in through the Green Lantern comics, kind of as a homage to it. Interesting. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good. Not all pulp holds up well over <laughs> over the decades. <laughs> in fact, I started with some Jack Vance and I, I got through one book of four in his in his sci-fi series. And I was like, this is just kind of unpleasant, misogynist tripe. No, thank yeah, you. I kind of ran into that when I tried to read the original Solomon Kane stories. There was one good one at the beginning where, like, some innocent people get killed and he goes and hunts them down in England, and then the rest of it is just, well, this is a lot of casual racism. Mm, yeah, fine. yeah. Robert E. Howard, I mean, Conan's a little better, but not great. Mm, yeah. But I, I finished uh, a whole bunch of the uh, Fawford and the Grey Mauser stories, which were very pulpy, uh, somewhat misogynist, but quite a lot of fun. But then the Lensman series has been really enjoyable. So I've been working my way through that. Nearly done with second stage Lensman. Going to finish it up with Children of the Lens very soon. So Did you just I, get those I'm, from your library or ebooks? Yeah. Or? Well, the great thing is they're um, as audiobooks. So I've been listening to them in the car. Oh, okay. And while doing chores and that sort of thing. I had the GURPS book for Lensman. And mm-hmm. it, it disintegrated because Steve Jackson oh. games didn't bind stuff super well back then. So it's been like yeah. shoved into a three ring binder and a bunch of sheet protectors. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, I'll say this. It holds up. It It is still very clearly a product of its time, but it is the best of what you could get out of that time. Well, if that makes sense. I, yeah, what I was going to say is like I I went looking for like used physical copies of the books after seeing the GURPS book and thinking, oh, this looks kind of neat. I only ever was able to find like one, and I think it's somewhere in the middle of the series, so I didn't ever read it, but it's good to know that they're out there someplace, because I've always thought that looked neat. It's really cool, and I've really been enjoying it. Also, there is an anime adaptation from like the early 90s. Uh, late, uh, late, late 80s, actually. I looked it up. It's not, 1987. Oh, wow. Okay. Even old. I definitely watched it in middle school, not knowing anything about 
Lensman or anime. So <laughs> like that may have been my first anime exposure, actually. As you can imagine, it is not especially faithful to the subject. But like I remember really with anime adaptations from the 80s I remember and it 90s. being fun. So, you yeah. know, that was a thing. But yeah, I've I very much have been enjoying this series and recommend it strong. So cool. There we go. Okay, we have a pretty big topic to talk to. Uh monsters and such and whatnot. Oh, um, speaking of mm-hmm. recommending things real quick, as of this recording, the latest running the game video from Matthew Coville, episode number 84, uh, he talks about taking like basic monsters from the monster manual and boosting them with additional actions and stuff to make them a little bit more interesting and challenging to player characters. I think if you're doing monsters, <laughs> that's a there's mm. some really good advice in that particular video it's only about 20 minutes long but since we're going to be talking about monsters and i just watched that recently i figured i'd mention it okay uh i will try to make sure that's linked in the show notes uh if you can just get me the link for it i will do so well appreciate that uh well like i said i'll make sure to link that in the show notes and yeah we do have a patreon question to get to let's go ahead and roll a die and see what our question is tonight Ooh. okay (laughs) This is a very simple one. Two words. Everybody ready? Yeah. Sure. Favorite holiday? And this comes to us courtesy of Richard Lorenz, longtime Patreon backer. Thank you, Richard. I got this one. Okay. Thanksgiving. I have uh, a real quick American Thanksgiving. Yes, American Thanksgiving. Because mm-hmm. because Canadians just had their Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah, and holidays yeah, are such right. a national and cultural thing. We should clarify when possible. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, fair enough. There are many similarities between the two. But we're way more chill about it. Like <laughs> yes, you so are. much more chill. I don't know anyone in Canada whose favorite holiday is Thanksgiving because it's just like I don't know. We just eat f- food with family and thank each other. Yeah, but <laughs> here's the thing. That's the thing that I like about it. It's very it's fair. a very low pressure holiday. I have a very nice family. It turns into a four day weekend for me, which is nice. And it's just there's no like rampant commercialism with it. Nobody ever gets like, you know, nasty because they can't find somebody the right Thanksgiving present or something. <laughs> I am betraying my history as a retail worker here a bit. But <laughs> it's just it's just very like. Obviously, if I didn't have as nice of a family as I do, I probably would feel differently. But it's just an excuse to spend some time with my parents and eat a you know a nice meal and just relax and kind of ruminate on the things that are good in my life in the world. And that's kind of a nice thing. That's good. I mean, it's hard to say that you're wrong. It's an excellent holiday, and when done right, it's a wonderful family time. Yeah, Jenny. I'm thinking real hard about it. Because, like, it has changed so drastically in the last year for me, like, what I have to do for every holiday, because I have to theme my whole library around every major holiday. And so my holidays are not especially restful. Well, like, it used to be March break, because that's just a thing that, like, everyone in my school district did all at the same time. So just when I was a student, it was like, okay, March break, we do nothing. We do exactly nothing, and that was fantastic. But now my March break is the most hectic time of the year. Like, just that was the the time when I broke the law and went over the fire uh, capacity limit for people in the library. March break is the busiest time of the year for me now, so it's no longer my favorite holiday. 
I'm going to say Christmas because that's the longest chunk of time that I'm able to get off ever. Fair. We're, we're closed for at least a full week, often a full two weeks. Although this year we're not because Christmas being in the middle of the week messed things up. It was like one day to the side of Wednesday. Either way, yeah. you'd kind of get two days close and all Extra, that. Extra, yeah. yeah. But but because it's Wednesday this year, I, I get like a week and a bit. Mm, so, eh. yeah, that's annoying. Grumble, grumble. And I can probably just, you know, I, I've used like one holiday day this year, so I can probably extend it a little bit further for my own self. But it's still stressful having to vol- like organize the schedules for all my volunteers to if I have to keep the library open at all. It's just real awkward. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. it. It is difficult for me to schedule my department of two around Christmas because we are both family people and we all have family things we want to do so yeah yeah it's it's tricky I'm trying to do it with more people with a larger staff all volunteers yeah yeah because cool. like it's one of those things where you get what you pay for so <laughs> yes, like yes. i am paying my volunteers nothing and thus they can just be like ah, i'm not feeling it and walk out with no <laughs> repercussions yeah <laughs> what, what are they no. gonna do dock my pay yeah, yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah. Beg, plead, and cry? Oh, fine. <laughs> well, if you have to take that tack on it. Yeah. You know, it's going to be maybe a little trite since this is our Halloween episode, but I think right now my favorite holiday is Halloween. Mm. Uh, some of it is just the fact that it's finally cooling off, right? Yeah. The southern United States is hot. I hate the heat. I hate the mugginess. I hate the bugs. I hate everything. It's awful. It's, you know, 80 degrees when you walk outside it, it, at night. It's it's gross. It's just miserable. And it's finally starting to cool off. The trees are starting to change color. Everything's great. And going trick-or-treating with the kids is just delightful because right now they are at an age, three and seven, where they absolutely love it and are super excited by it and, you know, run want to run house to house. It's great. Fun fact. Okay, here's a delightful Halloween story. First time we took my daughter trick-or-treating, going around. And for the record, we always do this in the neighborhood I grew up in, Mm. which is always kind of – which is I think one reason I like it because weirdly enough, it ends up being a little bit like what you described at Thanksgiving, Peter, where this is like the one day in the year that my parents connect with their neighbors. Hmm. All right. Because they're going around to all their neighbors' houses and talking with them and and saying hello, right? Because they're normally kind of quiet doing their own thing. And unless they're, you know, talking over yard work, there's not much interaction. But then they're saying hey to everyone and talking and introducing. And, you know, we, we chat with neighbors whose kids I grew up with and all that fun stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And taking the kids around, you know, showing off these little guys, it's fun for them. Um it's it's just it's a delight. So anyway, I had this story. First time we took my daughter trick or treating, she was three. Don't remember what outfit she was wearing. I don't remember her costume. Oh no, she was a little monster. I remember because she demanded a sucker and just had these little furry mittens that just. Oh oh god, there was so much sticky slobber. The <laughs> the, the sucker was glued to them when we had to cut it out. Oh um, yeah. Oh wow. It was it was gross. She did not care. She was three. <laughs> close to two, like a, a young three. She might even have been like two and a half. So anyway, the last house we go to, right? She's been kind of saying trick or treat, 
holding her bag out. She's finally got that figured out, and she's she's three at this point. That's right. Last house we go to, this twenty something young woman answers the door, and you know, oh hey, hey cutie, how are you? You know, do the thing. okay trick or treat. Yeah, what's your name? Daughter says her name. Oh, that's my name too. And my daughter just stares at her for a second, trying to process the fact that somebody else can have her name. <laughs> and then immediately says, well, I guess that means this is my house and walks inside. <laughs> oh, wow. Like she didn't say that loud, but that was like, bed. I could just see her processing this and then look at the house and then be like, and just steps up on it. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. I can I can I just say something this doesn't have anything to do with course, Halloween, but I remember myself having a similar thought process cuz um I, and I remember this really clearly, we were at a restaurant on a road trip. I was maybe about the same age like 3 or 4 maybe. Our waitress had a name tag. I, I would have been closer to 4 because I could read and mm-hmm. it and it said Jenny on it. And I remember thinking so distinctly, oh, so that's what I'm going to look like when I grow up. Yep. <laughs> like, I thought that that everyone who shared a name, that's what they looked like sure. at, at different stages in their lives. That, that is perfect child logic. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And no one had ever told me otherwise. I, I thought that for way too long, by the way. Like, I had that thought process hanging around in the back of my head until I think I was in, like, early ele- elementary school. Sure. Well, I mean, like, unless you bring it up, who's going to contradict it, right? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where you make an assumption. Nobody, you know, there's nothing to say you. yes or no either way. So you just sort of roll with it. I remember doing that as a kid. See, now hearing this, I want to find, like... Two different, like, as different looking as possible people with the same name as the child and introduce them both simultaneously and watch the child's head explode. So, fun fact about my experience there, the waitress was, like, super dark hair, super dark eyes. Not, not like, um, she wasn't black or anything, but she was, she was, like, definitely not white. Um, I think she may have been Arabic. And I, for for the listeners, because this is an audio medium, I'm white. I'm real white. I've got, at the time, I had straw blonde hair, bright blue eyes, like, could not be more different from Well, you've got Scandinavian and, like, ancestry, right? So I do, yeah. Swedish. Yeah. yeah. There so, you go. So, yeah, it's, it's like, it's not a surprise that I'm blonde and blue-eyed. It's, it's just like, I... There's just, there's no preconception of genetics there. No, of course not. <laughs> so like, of yeah. course I'm gonna grow yeah. up with a dark brown hair, dark brown eyes, <laughs> medium brown skin. Oh yeah. One other super quick Halloween thing. One of the other mm-hmm. reasons I love Halloween is I remember running around you know the neighborhood and, and getting all the the candy and everything. Right, trick or treating is just mm. fun. But also I think the decorations do help. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, everybody likes decorating and Christmas is fun going to see like Christmas lights displays and seeing what everybody has done. That's really nice. But there's something really cool, too, about a, a really good Halloween display that somebody has put a lot of effort into. Those are fun. Right. Yeah. But I I may be slightly biased in my love for Halloween because for a long time, my next door neighbor worked for Eminem Mars. Oh, boy. What's that? <laughs> They're the company that makes Snickers and M&M's. And oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
For some reason, I put those three syllables into one word, and I was like, what is that? Oh, sorry. Yes, <laughs> M&M Mars, the company. Okay. Yeah, he w- like he worked in – not exactly – I guess it's sales? It seems weird to talk about sales, but I guess you know, going around to stores and being like, hey, stock this stuff. He literally had a closet in his garage full of samples, full-size oh, samples. Wow. wow. I hit that house three times one year, changing my costume. because they were giving out handfuls of full-size Snickers and I was not missing that. (laughs) Oh, wow. That that has a very, like, Stranger Things vibe to it with the kids sitting there like, all right, we need to hit this house three times. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was... Fattening? Yeah. Yeah. It's... It was a thing. Anyway, that's that's enough Halloween and costume talk and other stuff like that. It's good to be back on the mics with everyone. Obviously, we're having fun yeah. with it. And uh, yeah. Richard, thank you for your question. Really appreciate that. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can do so. Patreon.com slash saving the game. As little as a dollar a month gets you on our list and uh, helps support the show. It does help quite a lot. Yeah, we are listener funded and that includes being able to... Uh pay an editor to do every other episode which has been a huge amount of uh work and stress off of grant here so yes mm-hmm. yes and peter as well because peter was our backup editor and yeah. still is he got the last one uh that came out with peter and jenny and peter thank you so much <laughs> no <Seriously. problem. laughs> you were having a week so i was having several weeks compacted into one week it was not pleasant you were having like a month and then it was over and they didn't bother to tell you and don't don't get me started please yeah. don't get me started i okay I, yeah i'm annoyed no, on your no, behalf let's no. go <laughs> all right let's read our scripture and then we have this huge monstrous topic monstrously huge topic to talk about <laughs> who wants to start us off with job i'll take job i kind of like job this is job 41 verses 1 through 10 can you pull in leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young woman in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand against it, You will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? 1 Samuel chapter 28 verses 8 through 13. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed? The woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, Well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You deceived me! You are Saul! Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a god coming up out of the earth, she said. What does he look like? Saul asked. He is an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. And finally, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. 
Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Our topic tonight is, as we've said, monsters, and we're kind of talking about monsters as they are monstrous and also as metaphors or expressions of disease and how they might symbolize that and that sort of thing. And Jenny, apparently this comes from a conversation you had. You want to fill us in on that, kind of where this perspective comes from? Sure. So I was having this discussion with one of my friends during this discussion, we we just sort of joke back and forth about both of us being terrible people. We know we're not, but we joke about it. This friend asked me if I would consider myself more a werewolf or a vampire. I immediately chose vampire without hesitation. This is one of those things where it's like, don't ask the question because you might not get the answer you want. This friend was actually like really deeply bothered by that. I didn't really get why. Until they explained that they view vampires exclusively from the lens of vampires as oppressor and vampires as violence personified. And they had difficulty seeing vampires any other way than as the terrible old aristocrat who's oppressing the populace. Hmm. I was coming at vampires from a completely different perspective. I look at the symptoms of vampirism and I see them in my sleep disorder and my anxiety and my depression. And I tend to look at vampires from two different narrative perspectives. I don't know if I coined this term or if I heard it a long time ago and I'm drawing it up now, but I look at them as vampires as monstrous and vampires as diseased. Two separate narratives that create very different monstrous effects within those narratives. It, and that's why I'm okay with the sympathetic vampire narrative. A lot of people are not, and that's very fair. Generally, the sympathetic vampire narrative is coming at it from the vampires as diseased perspective. And I was just sort of thinking about it, and I was able in my head to sort of like generally lump different monsters into more one category than the other. Not like th there's still a a truly massive amount of crossover between these two things. Yeah, there's other ones that don't fit neatly into either category. and We'll get there later, because I, I am not sure I want to call them monsters at all. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not certain about that. I think it'd also be cool if we did a, a quick little talk on monsters in scripture. Uh, they tend to be pretty hard on the monsters as monstrous side of things. We've got Leviathan. We read a thing about Leviathan. I think pretty much everyone knows about Leviathan, but for those who don't, it's this mythical undersea monster. It's it's a big old sea monster. No one talks about Behemoth. I have yet to hear anybody talk about Behemoth, and that's probably because they're just talking about the rhinoceros. <laughs> yeah. Like, you you read the description of it, and it's like, yeah, it's really big, like like a really big ox, and it's got these... The horns on its face and it's big and it's got these trees like 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 these legs like stumps of trees it's like that is a rhinoceros or an yeah. elephant yeah. yeah so there's definitely a real world world analog for the behemoth i found it interesting and i guess this didn't really occur to me before 
starting, but like demons don't get called demons in the Old Testament. No, the, no. The word demon does not show up at all in the Old Testament. It's very much a New Testament thing. Um, there is a word for like an evil spirit, but it's not a demon. I think the whole demon thing is very much a Christian thing because of our our conception of hell. There's a lot of debate in Jewish communities about whether or not hell exists and demons being creatures of hell. Like, if, if you don't believe in hell, you are not going to believe in demons either, most likely. Right. Um, at least not as it's translated in, in most English translations of the New Testament. Right. Well, there's a couple hundred year gap between the final book of the Old Testament and the Gospels. Yeah. And there's a lot of evolution of thought and other influences that came into, you know, Jewish thinking and tradition over that time in that particular place where the Gospels were written and you know when the letters of Paul and that sort of thing were written. So it there there is a distinct change between the Old Testament and the New yeah. Testament, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that is in there I know uh, a lot is ghosts. Yes, ghosts. And what's cool is we have like this wonderful description of the ghost of Samuel coming up in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, for, you know, in First Samuel. But we also get some of that in the New Testament when Christ is crucified. You get mm-hmm. the spirits of the dead are seen walking about. Mm-hmm. I think that's – I think that those are both terribly underappreciated pieces of scripture. I would agree. At, at least – in the Anglican tradition, we don't talk about it a lot. I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Because whether or not ghosts exist is a very contentious topic in a lot of religious circles. And so if we just don't talk about it, we aren't going to have to, you know, dive deep into discussion about whether yeah, or not ghosts exist. We're not going to have to have a fight, you know, when the old yeah. lady uh, buttonholes the pastor after the, the sermon and, and gets on him about it, you know? It's... yeah. Yeah. Divisive Sunday school topics. <laughs> yeah. I would at this point like to get more into the like the monsters as well, monstrous. Real quick. Side- there is okay, one well, category well. of things that we aren't probably going to talk about here, but I want to call them out as separate, mm. which are the non-human things that are somehow sort of considered on God's side, as it were. Like well, I've got those down. Nephilim. I've already got a section. Okay. I got a section for that. Okay, good. So you have things like Nephilim and um, – I'm things- putting that under uh, cosmic horrors. Okay. Well, I was thinking of like the things in Jewish tradition that helped build the ark. Um, I forget okay, what yeah. they're called. Things like- there are things like that which we don't think of as monstrous but could conceivably qualify. We're not going to be talking about them as much here. But I just wanted to mention those. Yeah. Like if, if we're talking about those ones specifically, then like I'm not talking about elves here either. Like I'm not talking about the – I'm not talking about the good here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're talking about things that are, quote unquote, scary for yes. some reason. Yeah. Monsters as monstrous, uh, these frequently are representations of excess, greed, the filthy, stinking rich. You've got your your dragon hoarding its wealth. Dracula with a, his massive mansion. That sort of thing. It's direct representation of, of, of greed and excess. You've also got trauma so so trauma inflicted upon you by others theft and sexual assault are very very common here similarly guilt so scapegoating it like the devil made me do it you see that with the uh, succubus and incubus 
mythologies there a lot. To quote H.P. Lovecraft, just the fear of the unknown, the fear of wildness, like actual wilderness, lack of control in your own life, like mania, the fear of something just not caring what it does as long as it gets what it wants, that kind of thing. As with every other fear, I'm sure you can tie it into the fear of death. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. As discussed with with my friend, uh, you got the classic vampire. So it's it's old, probably has a lot of money, and it has immense supernatural powers. Many of which so, vary wild, wildly, depending on exactly which vampire tradition we're oh, talking yeah. about. Hugely wild, you know, divergences. Like, they can fly. They can turn into a bat so they can fly. They probably suck your blood, but mm. honestly, there are some that don't. Not to put too much of a, you know, a thing on it here, but there is an entire GURPS book of nothing but vampire variants from around the world. And they get yeah. weird. Like, you guys ever mm -hmm. heard of a penangolin? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Heckin' weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're neat. They really are. I'm not sure, like, a head dangling organs and a spine flying around sucking blood, I would call neat, but, uh... I would. They're definitely creepy. I mean, I'll, Oh, yeah, I'll for sure. That. Like, I also find it interesting, uh, and this is sort of where it crosses over into the as-diseased side of things. In different cultures, with different vampires, you find different versions of grotesqueness or, or extreme beauty. So, like, in a lot of modern western traditions of vampires the vampire is absolutely gorgeous until they show their true face and they're super disfigured in i believe this is an older memory and i i think thai culture most monstrous things have super long tongues it's the tongue that is scary i just i i find that absolutely fascinating just like the different sorts of monstrous features mm -hmm. playing into different like very different monstrous aspects so I, I just think that's i think that's really cool i mean you can you can learn a lot about any culture from what it considers monstrous and what it's afraid of you've also got your like classic lycanthropy mm -hmm. kind of thing a thing i found interesting while researching specifically lycanthropy for this topic was in classic lycanthropy uh it is often a choice you choose to become a wolf and destroy a town that's a thing that that the monster chooses to do actively. It can also be like a curse. The one that I'm most familiar with is the seventh son of a seventh son kind of thing. So it's just like, oops, uh, you're the seventh son, of a seventh son of a seventh son. I guess you're a werewolf now. Have fun. You say that werewolf and vampire is kind of a weird blurred line in a lot yeah. of traditions. Yeah. Vampires are traditionally associated with wolves. They're often called werewolves. They're it gets blurry in surprising ways. I did a yeah. little bit of research on this, and there are a lot of like medieval werewolf stories where it's all about, you know, being trapped in bestial form, right? Uh, and it's usually like a, a curse, you know, a man is trapped in, you know, this form by his wife and then, you know, attacks and gets vengeance, that sort of thing. If you steal their clothes, they can't turn back into human form, mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. And it comes out of the, the romance tradition. Things like yeah. that. There's also a certain tradition there, and, and this one I do want to talk about because I think the the antidote to it is really fantastic. One of the older, I think it's French-Canadian traditions of the Lugaru, 
one of the ways that you can basically turn the wolf back into a guy is if his mother or his sister meets him without fear and calls him by name. So in that sense, the lycanthropy is represent is a representation of extreme alienation. And in reconnecting with someone you know on a personal level, you regain your humanity. It's not often... I think that's one of the less common Monsters as Monstrous origins, the uh, the representation of alienation. But it's, it's also one of my favorites because th- it can be fixed. <laughs> there is a, a cure of some kind, and that cure is to get yourself back socializing with people and unalienate yourself. While we're on werewolves, I have to call out the Benandanti. The Benandanti, which may mostly have been one crazy guy in Renaissance Italy, but... Oh, I think I know this one. There's, oh, there's the good more. werewolves? Yeah. Yeah, the good werewolves who claimed to travel out of their bodies while asleep. I'm quoting from Wikipedia here. Claim to travel out of their bodies while asleep, to struggle against malevolent wishes in order to ensure good crops for the season to come. You know, they wave their, like, magic sticks of fennel around, and it just, it's a whole weird, crazy thing. Didn't they claim to, like, go into hell and rescue people occasionally, too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, They, you know, they would heal people, excuse me, uh, sticks of sorghum, I think, no, sorry. The Benandanti had fennel, and the witches had sticks of sorghum, I think is how it worked. It's a really weird tradition, and it it was one of those, you know, right smack in the middle of the Inquisition, and the Inquisition just sort of found out about it and went, we have no idea what to do about this. (laughs) Um, Maybe please don't do this anymore? And just sort of kept putting off investigations and like, well, all right, look, you, this guy who claims to be you know, a werewolf, we have to do something with you, but please stop. Well, and I remember when they talked about this on Cartas, they dragged this guy into court and they were, they kept trying to like give him outs and stuff like, and he mm-hmm. was like, no, no, I'm actually doing this. And they were kind of like, all right, well, we're just gonna, I guess, like fine you and put you under house arrest, I think is what they ultimately did. Yeah, please, yeah. please don't do it again. Yeah, just, just, yeah. Please stop ranting, crazy old man, was pretty much I know what it came down to, yeah. But yeah. anyway, they're yeah. neat. I, we do not have time to go into the Benandanti, but they yeah. are super cool, and I would recommend looking them up if you're interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've also got cosmic horrors on the list, which I sort of lump, I almost lump angels into, like the whole, because you got to know that an angel's scary if they have to repeatedly say, don't be afraid, yeah. I'm here to help. If that's the first um, thing that comes out of their mouth, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They are certainly terrific. The question is, are they, you know, monstrous? I wouldn't call them monstrous, but they yeah. are terrifying for sure. Yeah. So yeah, cosmic horrors. You you got your your Lovecraft, your interdimensional beings. Mm. Those ones are just like just sheer madness personified. I mean, even the Reapers from Mass Effect, which are basically like giant Terminators, but even those qualify. Then you've also got got just like your standard alien aliens. Yes. One of the things that I like about stories with aliens a lot of the time is that they start off as just monstrous. And as you slowly bother to get to learn more about them, a lot of those narratives can be just like, okay, it was a massive misunderstanding. Like like Babylon 5 has one of my favorite uh, ones 
uh, like that, like with the just sheer the total opposite meanings of certain cultural things between aliens, like the Minbari showing their weapons as a sign of like, hey, we're not hiding anything. This is these are the weapons we got. We're not trying to start a fight. Whereas in Earth culture, it's like, oh, they're showing weapons. They're about to fire. <laughs> right. We're going to yeah. fire back. <laughs> the cool thing about that is. Even something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind starts as a really creepy movie. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. it's it's this almost psychological thriller level of, like, this guy is in, is either crazy or has had an experience that fundamentally separates him from humanity. Fundamentally changes. Well, it changes him, but also Things. it excludes him from the rest of humanity because he has had an experience no one else has had as far as he knows mm -hmm. and then it all kind of comes together in the end as like this big light show and song and dance show and don't worry everything's fine but the first two-thirds of the movie it doesn't seem like it's gonna come out that way yeah <laughs> and it's a neat twist and i i enjoy it and it's a wonderful movie right but it's weird and it's a, mm -hmm. you know, the first two thirds of that alien movie are indistinguishable from a lot of other much creepier alien movies because it's all about what is the nature of this unknowable thing. Yeah. It's cool. very much about the unknowable. We really going to talk about aliens and not mention District 9? Because I'm putting that in the other. All right. But we definitely because need to talk about that one at some point. Here. We are. And I'm putting <laughs> that in, in the monstrous as othered. Okay. Which I'm yeah, still no, not sure counts yeah. as as. Go, go ahead. You're you're the one who's kind of directing this, but we need to touch on that movie before this episode is over. Oh, we do for sure. <clears throat> um, so this is the district, the the obligatory District Nine reference. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're talking about District Nine. <laughs> we're making a promise. We are. Um, dragons. I, yeah, I put dragons in here. Uh, dragons. Uh, I'm I'm gonna lump in actually dragons, fae, mermaids, si and sirens. Um, uh, your your Things fantasy like the creatures, Kraken and see that's interesting. I would not and... have done that, and the reason is, fey sirens, mermaids. These are all very tempting, right? And certain dragon stories are about temptation, where the dragon offers a, kind of a deal you can't refuse thing, and then the the hero of the story has to figure out something clever to get out of the dragon eating them. But it's definitely like, you know, fey mermaid sirens to me are the dangers of the wild. Whereas dragons are more malevolent aspects of like greed and tyranny or okay. just elemental destruction, depending on, depending on exactly which um, tradition you're coming out of. My daughter's got a wonderful little like Osborne book of dragons and dragon yeah. stories from around the world. Yeah, I mean, if it's you're in, if you're in East Asia, dragons have an entirely different meaning. It, it's, oh, for sure, they're, yeah. they're extremely benevolent, and I would not even necessarily call those monsters at that. No, point. no, yeah. at that point they fall under more kind of the category that you were talking about, where they're they're good things that just aren't human. Yeah, they're part of the celestial yeah. bureaucracy. Yeah, I'm putting dragons in with fey mermaids and sirens because I see those all as falling under the fear of the lack of control. I can see that dragons as oppressors is a very common trope and they are exerting extreme force of I will. think Jenny may actually have a point here because I think the idea of dragons is these like magical intelligent oppressive things is more of a fantasy trope than a myth and folklore one. Oh no no 
Definitely not. Because like St. George and the Dragon, you have the dragon who is coming every week or every day to, uh, you know, eat the sheep of this town that's besieged and then gets, you know, the, all the sheep are gone. So he starts claiming daughters and, and, you know, that sort of thing. Like that's, that's St. George and the Dragon in a nutshell. And that's very much a, a medieval or late medieval t- kind of tale. You know, yeah. maybe maybe later than that. I don't know exactly when. Even in but, that case, it's more like of a predation kind of a thing than like these grand plots spanning centuries like you get in a lot of like fantasy stuff. It's a predator as opposed to a tempter. Now, I'm also putting in one here and I'm not sure exactly how prevalent it is beyond the one this one specific tale, but I'm putting the questing beast under dragons. And the thing with the questing beast is that it's Basically, I look at it from the point of view as the questing beast has essentially enthralled people to hunt it in a similar way, like Fae leading people into the woods. I think of dragons as a similar lure at, to fairies and will-o'-the-wisps and that kind of thing, where it's like you are drawn to this thing that is probably going to eat you up. Yeah, see, I would agree with the questing beast. I, I think the questing beast falls more into the Fae category. Now, the Catobalpus... I think probably is in the dragon category for me. For sure. But I, we're kind of arguing. I mean, these are, are an interesting comparison, right? Yeah. But it, we're getting into semantics here and we've got a lot of monsters to cover still. We do. You've also got your, your afterlifey yes. monsters. So you've got ghosts and demons and they play into a lot of different fears. Specifically, the fear of death a lot of the time. Fear of death, the fear of unfinished business, not having everything done and like your family taken care of and things like that. The fear of a loss that you can't cope with, like with the um, the weeping maiden myths from, is it Central America? Mexico? I think so. Uh, yeah. Where you have the, the, the woman who's drowned herself out of grief, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. La Llorona, I think. I, yes. I think that's right. There's another creature called a Rasalka that's from another uh, Eastern Europe, I want to say, that's like that, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's that idea of being so attached here, you you can't let go. Or revenants, yeah. for that matter. Yeah. You've also got your ghouls. That's the fear of cannibalism. <laughs> it is. Yeah. What's, and Straight what's up. funny is this loops back to our vampire discussion, because a yeah. lot of vampire myths are what we would call ghoul myths of like this mm-hmm. thing in the graveyard that gets out of the graveyard and eats us. I'm going to make a recommendation right here, right now, because I absolutely adore it. Please watch Demon Slayer. It says demon, but what they're actually talking there. There are two different words in Japanese. They get translated as demon. One of them is is Akuma. That would be like the Christian-style demon where it's this thing from hell. And then there's Oni, which I think is more accurately translated as troll. But Troll Slayer doesn't sound as cool as Demon Slayer, so I think they just chose to translate it as Demon Slayer. However, Demon Slayer is one of the best, absolute best narratives for combining and mixing monsters as monstrous and monsters as diseased. 10 out of 10, amazing, super violent, very bloody. Do keep that in mind if you want to watch it. Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba? Yeah, Kimetsu okay. no Yaiba. That, I, I put those uh, oni under the ghoul category because of the cannibalism. Yes, they're very much, you know, almost the same sort of category as like 
certain giants as well. The idea of, you know, these monstrous things that are just bigger than you and, you know. Grind your bones to make my bread kind of giants. Yeah. Oni very much so. Less so in Demon Slayer. You get a couple of them like that. But for the most part, I would put them closer to vampire, like Western vampire myth than anything else. Especially with the whole how you become an Oni. That's, oh my goodness, it's so Dracula. Oh my goodness, I cannot get over how Dracula-ish their main character, like their main <laughs> villain is. Cool. Oh my goodness, it's it's amazing. This is one where I wasn't really, I almost want to, I, I put this in here and I'm kind of regretting it. I put Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here. I should honestly, I could have put that under lycanthropy, I think, because that one is about the choice to become a monster and choice to change yourself and the fear of that, of being drawn to change yourself for the worse. Yeah, it's well, it's the idea of a curse, too. Yeah. You know, losing control, not being able to exist within social niceties. It's that I, it's a modern werewolf story is how I very much I think of that. I also think it's it's also been used for addiction parallels mm, a, yeah. a lot recently. At least I've noticed. I can see that being very workable. <laughs> but again, it's that idea of falling out of society and losing control. And you've got your cryptids and primeval beings. Uh, I've sort of lumped those together. Peter, I know you initially had Leviathan and Kraken up with mermaids and stuff. I put them down here because they, they are both from the ocean, but they do different things. That's fair. I mean, Nyrsilla and Charybdis would fall into this same category then. I've, I'm counting cryptids and primeval beings primarily under unknowable and uncontrollable. So very much Leviathan. You cannot capture Leviathan. You will regret it. Don't try. Cryptids to me are the weird things we don't know about in the woods. The idea that there's still weirdness out there, even though we sort of feel like we've mapped everything. Well, and the interesting thing about cryptids is they're not always like super dangerous, right? You don't hear a lot of Bigfoot legends about people getting like beaten to death by Bigfoot and, you know, eaten or something. It's just like, it's real. It's out there. You know, and the same thing with the Loch Ness Monster. You don't hear about people getting devoured by Nessie. You just hear about people spotting Nessie. And then sometimes they're actually, like, active good. Mm-hmm. I've, like, uh, that's why I like Mothman a lot. I think Mothman's a cool dude and he's just trying to help people out. Yeah. <laughs> or if you want to watch something really awful and really funny at the same time, the uh, MST3K The Return Episode uh, number two from 2017, Cry Wilderness, which is a truly awful movie about a young boy who is best friends with uh, Psychic Bigfoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that, that that sounds like entire dump trucks of material for MST3K just on that premise. Oh, absolutely. And it's so badly shot and everything is awful. The entire movie is bad. At some point, it's like, what are we doing here? Um tigers in the pacific northwest sure why not yeah it's it's what you had the budget for i get it the take the mst3k crew has on it christy and i were laughing so hard we had to pause that three times because we couldn't pay attention it was so good so i strongly recommend that wow not for like this is how cryptid should be but because it's extremely funny and apparently this is there are certain parts of what we would now be like, oh, yeah, you know, the Internet. No, we mean like communities of Bigfoot believers who are super into – no, Bigfoot's totally a cool dude and probably psychic because this is not the first time I've heard of psychic Bigfoot before. <laughs> yeah. 
I've 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 heard it on some fringe it, communities, that way lies but madness, I've, I'm, and... I've not looked super yeah. duper into it at all. In general, I think we've beaten monsters as monsters to death. They tend to be far less sympathetic characters if you're going to go with a monster character. Or things that were human and have chosen to be evil on purpose. Stories with, with this kind of character tend to have them as the villain and tend to have super sympathetic protagonists. Let's take a break real quick before we move on to Monsters as Disease. How do we use monsters like this in games? As the bads, for the most part, I think. They're the things that you're beating up to feel good in your escapism a lot of the time. I generally don't disagree. There's one or two that, you know, can be cured. But again, when we start using the word cure, we're going to be talking about diseases. Mm-hmm. Yep. These are definitely your big bads or the monster of the week. And I think that's great. There's absolutely room for those. And it says a lot about your setting. Again, what are the people of your game afraid of? Yeah. Well, it varies from place to place. And if you're doing like D&D, what are they afraid of? Well, we have this monster manual. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff out yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, we've we've got, you know, all of this stuff like called from decades of fantasy writing and world mythology all jammed together in this mishmash. You've got Eastern European vampires mixed with like Chinese and Japanese monsters and stuff from sub-Saharan Africa and South America and you know, North American Wendigos and like, it's just. And whatever Gary Gygax invented when he grabbed cheap toys off the toy shelf. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. One thing I do want to say, though, you'll note that we've talked about mythology a great deal in this section because these are mythological representations of fears. Too many game settings don't have mythologies. They just have a monster manual. Mm-hmm. And I get that it is hard to talk about what people believe and is not true in a fictional setting you're all having to suspend disbelief to play in. That's a big logical jump, and GMs don't want to be unclear about what is and isn't real. We get that. And to a certain degree, it may feel like, is there room for monsters in this setting? Because I've got this book of monsters that I paid good money for, and they're all real. But... Having I, – I, first off, I think it would be cool to go to like some town that's like, oh, yeah, we have this uh, this local monster that we're all, you know, kind of afraid of. And it's like, what is it? It's a, it's a rabbit with horns on its head and you're afraid of – oh, yeah, absolutely. Is it real? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that's honestly a really great basis for some sort of like festival for the group to walk into. The Jackalope Festival? Yeah, the Jackalope Festival. Yeah, of course. People are complicated, and that includes in our fictional settings. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to include that, and I think more games should, and more GMs should. It's complicated. I know. It's hard to run, but please do it. Diseases and monsters as representation of disease. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of fears before. This is a big yeah. one. This yeah. is just all fear. Uh, or uh, You know what? Maybe it's not, but like disease is the the basis for a lot of those instinctual fears in humans specifically like illness disability disfigurement physical and mental both of those horror is playing off some really base instincts there um asymmetry is one of the guaranteed ways to get someone to be grossed out you you get this with the uncanny valley kind of feeling that you get you get it with trypophobia a lot don't google trypophobia but it trypophobia is the fear of little holes in things that shouldn't have holes in them. 
almost everybody has this fear. If you think you might have this fear, and you probably do, don't Google it. It's real gross. All of these things are playing I see, into- Peter, I see you highlighting it right now. <laughs> Peter. I know you're pressing copy. Peter, don't do it. Don't do it. It's I actually And my response is to beat you fear. to it. Hold on. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing the lotus seed things going around and stuff. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that stuff before. Uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah. actually doesn't bother me all that much. Okay, it does me. Like, I, it makes my knuckles tingle in a very bad way. Well, I, and I can, I just looked at, looked it up as well. What we're talking about here is like little clusters of holes and things like that. Yeah. And, and it can, it doesn't have to be clusters necessarily. Those are the ones that really get a lot of people. But I've seen things for, for me that mess me up. Like it'll just look, there will be something that looks like a hole in someone's skin, just the one. Mm-hmm. And it will make my knuckles tingle in a way that makes me flex my fingers the way I'm doing right now because I'm thinking about it. I'll t- I can tell you what it did for me. When I looked it up, I immediately went, oh, yeah, there's something living in there that'll bite me. Yeah. That's that's what the trigger is for me. Yeah. Or like the, the thought process is. But anyway. I will also say, and Peter, I, I know you're, you're, you you may or may not agree with me on this one. I think that just the, the base fear of illness and disability and disfigurement it's done really sloppily a lot of the time, and Wonder Woman is a prime example of that. And here, are we talking about the movie? Or we the- are talking about the the 2017 film did a very sloppy job of playing on people's fears of disability and disfigurement. I'm talking about Dr. Poison. Unpack that for me a little. <laughs> I have not okay. seen this yet. As soon as you said playing on fears of disability and dis- disfigurement, I was like, oh, right. World War One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they probably didn't do it right. Yeah. Because movies don't. I'm talking about Dr. Poison. I am talking about her face reveal. Dr. Poison oh, wears okay. a half mask throughout most of the film. You can you can keep her with the half mask because canonically she does wear a mask in a lot of the Wonder Woman comics. I'm, I'm not complaining about the mask. What I'm complaining about with the sloppiness of playing on this particular version of monstrosity is her big monstrousness reveal with dramatic music and a zoom in is when her mask falls off and oh no she has a a facial disfigurement and that's the horrific thing not the fact that she tortured people and did terrible medical experiments and gassed people to death no that's not the real monstrous thing that gets you yeah, know the okay. big dramatic no, zoom in I and see music. where you're going with this and I actually agree um, there we go. It's it's very sloppy. People should not be treated. People shouldn't be portrayed in that way because sometimes you got a facial disfigurement. That's not the monstrous thing about you. It, it's a very sloppy, cheap way of playing on people's fears. I think Wonder Woman could have done a much better job. So, OK, quick, quick digression on that, just since we're on it. I actually like for the longest time, I think I just got out of the habit recently. I almost all of my player characters had facial scars because mm. it was um, and I played a lot. It was something that was kind of like, yeah, this person is, you know, rough and tough and can take a lot of punishment and that sort of thing. But it's also like I think I was going for like the idea that this person got this injury helping or protecting somebody else. And it's a visible thing that's right there on their skin. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how effective that was, but it's like I, I it's always bothered me that like scars are used as a a mark of villainy because it's like if yeah. scars are the sort of thing that you get when you are fighting against something and that can be mm-hmm. good or bad. You know, <laughs> moving on from specifically the illness based fears, monsters, of disease. It can also be fear of your own oppression. This is all very much 
fear of things originating from yourself as opposed to fears originating from something else the vast majority of the time. Lack of self-control, the passage of time, change, uh, again, death, fear of rejection. Death by aging. Death by aging, or uh, in some cases, death by, by you know, moita, or or premature death, that, that kind of thing. We're going to have to talk about zombies. Yeah. Zombies have a disease in most pop culture these days. You've got your intelligent ones. I'm trying to remember the name of the series. I didn't like it. I thought it was... I was bored by it, but I think it's also one of the better zombies as intelligent beings. Once it was a BBC... Oh, goodness. In the flesh. BBC. In the flesh. It actually did a pretty good job of portraying, you have been sick. You've been sort of cured. You're still living with the after effects. You have absolutely done horrible things and you have to atone for that now. Hmm. I honestly, I thought it was boring. I dropped it after two episodes. Maybe after the second episode, it, you know, ramped up and got really cool or whatever. But I gave it two episodes and I found it wanting. This can also, the whole zombies thing can also be sort of like just the fear of the mob. And in some cases, it can be the fear of the loss of self, too. Like, you see that especially with like the... um the fungal zombies or the headcrabs or the clickers. Uh, this is kind of a video game thing a lot of the time. Very so much. Headcrabs are from the Half-Life series and uh, fungal zombies or and or clickers kind of show up in The Last of Us. And yeah. the yeah. idea there also, is... Also, uh, Resident Evil 4 has fungal zombies or something very okay. similar. Yeah. Yeah. And, Paras- parasitic. Yeah, and this is based on a real fungus called cordyceps, which makes insects that it infects like crawl up to the top of um blades of grass so they're eaten by birds and then it, it like hijacks the brains of these little insects yeah. oh yeah and stuff you you have a stalk that grows out of them it's yeah it's extremely creepy it is. now what's neat about cordyceps uh is there's a bunch of different species of it all very specifically for a specific species of insect yep. it's really neat it's a whole fascinating family so yeah, zombies as diseased is is just like a a no brainer. Ah, no brainer. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm proud of you, Jenny. Thank you. Okay, and the I'm energy done now. from last night's City on a Hill session is still strong in Jenny. <laughs> I could not pun for my life last night, and I'm doing it now. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's just a delayed action. We got gotcha. you. Yeah, delayed action. Let's also bring in the modern vampire narratives, because these are the ones that I identify with most. The Reformed Vampire Support Group by Catherine Jinks. It's a little dated at this point, probably. It's it. I think it came out in like 2004, but it's one of my favorite vampire stories. It's it's sort of like young adult-ish. I, I'd say it's somewhere between middle school and high school in age. It's about these vampires going on a road trip in Australia in the summer. Wow. They are a support group of vampires who all desperately wish that they could just live normal lives and go out in the sun and go to the beach and have fun like normal people. And they can't do that. There's another wonderful series that um, my wife's a big fan of. I haven't read it yet, but our um, one of our mutual friends recommended it, who unfortunately has just dropped out of our D&D game. So that should tell everybody who it is. It's uh, Fred the Vampire Accountant. Mm. And I I believe uh, the first one is The Utterly Uninteresting and Unadventurous Tales of Fred the Vampire Accountant. But there's like five books in this series now by Drew Hayes. And it is literally just a very boring man who gets gets turned into a vampire 
and stays boring and then gets thrown into stuff. But he is trying his best to go back to just being a boring accountant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's that sympathetic idea of like, well, I guess you're cursed. Better better make the best mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, you know, actually, uh, speaking of this particular friend, he recommended another series to me that I really enjoyed that kind of falls into this category, but I didn't really realize it until we got to talking, which is the Bobaverse series, which is a sci-fi series about a person who is kind of, he's like this um, this tech millionaire, basically, a, a startup guy. Sounds like he he's one of those ones where it's like he was just really successful because he figured something out treated his employees really well and stuff goes and like signs up to be cryonically frozen and is like walks out of the place and is immediately hit by a car in the street and dies. They wind up like scanning him into these probes that go out and there, there's a whole series about it, but it's like you've been through really nothing that you did that was bad taken, you know, from being a human and put into this thing that isn't even like a bipedal body. You're basically a living spaceship at this point. What do you do about it? You know, and in this particular guy's case, because he's a really decent human being and because he's really smart, lots of good things like single handedly saves the human race. But that's definitely kind of a scary situation. You know, it's like just imagine if you had your consciousness, but none of your actual like recognizable human body at all. That's yeah. And that one plays much less on the fear of doing something to other people and much more on the fear of something happening to you. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that's, you know, that's very much the whole disease thing, because it's like... Yeah, diseased in in a very literal sense, diseased without ease. It's interesting, too, like he comes comes across somebody else that's been through the same process who isn't handling it as well and... Uh, the way that he helps him is kind of cool and stuff. I would, I would really just kind of recommend that series. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It's it's fun sci-fi. I really yeah. enjoyed it. You've also got the, I think, lycanthropy in this particular narrative thing is. This is the bitten lycanthrope, right? Yeah, the 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 bite thing, which is really really recent. Yeah, it's it's really quite a, a recent development in werewolf <laughs> stuff. That one. I think it plays very much to the same degree on like fear of hurting others, fear of getting your own self hurt, lack of control, very much the same amount and same degree as modern vampire narratives. They're super similar in a lot of in a lot of ways that old classic narratives of either monstrosity are are not similar. You've also got, I don't know anything about Color Out of Space. We've got a thing about aliens, and I don't know what Color Out of Space is. It's the classic H.P. Lovecraft story of uh, a fundamentally alien disease landing in the woods and infecting everything around it and slowly spreading. It's actually not that different in some ways from Annihilation, the the movie version. but Which I have not I- seen. I would argue that the but, movie yeah. version of Annihilation is much better than the Lovecraft story. <laughs> the Lovecraft story is still quite good. Yeah, it's definitely one of his better ones from what I understand, but I've seen a synopsis oh, yeah, it and it's like that movie does a lot of additional exploration and stuff with some of those concepts mm-hmm. and things that it just I liked the movie. It's one of a very small number of horror movies that I will gladly see multiple times. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, that's definitely like, because, okay, so in Annihilation, you get like this field 
that comes out of this meteor and it just starts scrambling all of the life inside of this field. Like they it, early on in the the film, they um they shoot this crocodile that charges them and they like open its its jaws to look inside and there's like these spirals of like all these different teeth from all these different animals inside. Like it's really creepy, but it's like that's a shark tooth. What you know? And it's like the they'll find stuff with like all kinds of like I don't want to spoil too much of it, but it's it's very much like this this field almost runs like genetic traits of things through an encryption algorithm. Like they, they walk past and there's like this big vine that's going up the thing. And there's like just different types of flowers coming off of it all the way up off of the same vine. It's really interesting and weird. And nothing like the book. Like, wow, all of that is completely new to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I the, mean, the book like, is the book is very firmly in the category of cosmic horror, very firmly in the category. Cosmic this is like, pretty cosmic horror too, the way it turns out, but it's just... It's, yeah, it's just like, there's nothing about a meteor. It's just like, wow, we have no idea what's happening. Yes, there's some weird biological stuff happening, but like, the the whole meteor thing, that's not... Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I, from what I understand, the, the Southern Reach is significantly more sympathetic in the movie than the books and stuff, too. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a different work. I, honestly, like... Probably like the different versions of L.A. Confidential book and movie in that they're both good, but not a Very huge amount different. like each other. But yeah. we're, we're getting on a, a media tangent here. One thing I wanted to throw out about aliens is there's another type of alien in fiction, which is or as monster, which is the the pod people style alien. Right, the aliens who walk among us unseen. Mm. That has some of the same idea of like kind of a zombie movie of like you can't trust people. But it's also kind of the Cold War mentality. There's a reason those were very popular during the Cold War. Who can we trust among us? Right. That you know, the threat from within, that idea. And that's it's not quite a disease, but it has that idea of like something lingering and lying in wait and that could crop up at any time, you know, much like a plague or a disease. Yeah. It has that elements of that. So I I wanted to at least call that out. So yeah, uh, in general, these types of monsters tend to be the sympathetic ones in stories. They are often the protagonists of the stories themselves, as in the reformed vampire support group. As in Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. Hellboy. (laughs) Although that's that's that's, a different category. uh, Hellboy's a little different. We're going to get to that because because like I, I don't want to call him a monster because he doesn't do many bads. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, I do also want to just briefly touch on on something. Some people, I am one of these people, find these kinds of monster narratives as a source of comfort. Not everyone does. I find comfort in this because it's just like a, a, a sort of like a, oh, I see myself in this in this character kind of thing. Portraying monstrousness and disease together combined is shaky ground because real life diseased people aren't monsters they they aren't it's shaky ground like like i really identify with a lot of sympathetic vampire narratives vampires as disease because i have a sleep disorder that makes it really really hard for me to go outside when it's light out i have immense anxiety about entering houses uninvited (laughs) i i think the only thing i like garlic a lot and i'm okay with crucifixes 
I have yet to be staked, so we don't know how that's going to go. How do you feel about running water? I'm not a good swimmer. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, faucets and stuff. How do you feel about those? Oh, those don't count. <laughs> they, they really don't count. I thought running water was like a stream kind of thing, like natural running water. I suppose it depends on the version, but I've seen it as any water in motion. Yeah, I believe it does have to be natural running water. Mm, yeah. Okay. Like, if you, if you cross a stream, you're safe. They can't do it. I don't know why, but they can't. It's the uh, purification baptism kind of thing, I think. Yeah, something like that. Don't put these narratives on other people unless they put them on themselves first. Just pro tip. Right. It's <laughs> not cool to be like, oh, your disease is like this. When a lot of of disease... Uh, just, I mean, yeah, like a lot of people would, would react on. to that with, really, dude? What the heck did I ever do to you? Yeah. This is bad enough as it is, you know? Yeah. I mean... That's kind of the the obvious answer that comes to mind if you're putting somebody's you know disease on equal footing with some of these monstrous archetypes. It's very othering, and now we get into monsters as othered, which I'm not sure counts as. Monsters. Well, I'm not sure we have time for it either. But let's talk. Let's talk about it super super. Yeah, quick. because we Hellboy? did promise that we were going to talk about District Nine, and this is where it falls. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the monster as. Something outside society that maybe shouldn't be other. Yeah, that should. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, so real quick here, like the aliens in District Nine are a completely unsubtle allegory for racism because they specifically are not, apartheid, specifically yeah, South African. Yeah, apartheid. because it takes place in yes. South Africa. They are <laughs> they are not hurting anybody. They are in fact probably somewhat beneficial. Mm-hmm. And they are treated horrifically by the people in control. Yes. So that's that's one example there. You've got like your actual classical like voodoo zombies where it's basically just like a form of perpetual mind control and just forcing somebody to basically be your untiring, undying labor constantly would fall under this. Hellboy, who started out as monstrous origin, monstrous appearance, the worst Decent thing guy. that he is is grumpy, you know, and you'd yeah. be grumpy, too, if you had his background. So even the X-Men in some cases, like Beast and Nightcrawler, the- these are things that are monstrous because other people have deemed them monstrous. So this is much more from the perspective of the how other people are viewing you rather than how you're viewing yourself or how you're viewing someone else. This is how other people are viewing you. Or even in and a that's lot of cases, I'm not sure any kind of objective monsters. moral standard could be applied to you. There is there is nothing monstrous about Abe Sapien, for instance, in the Hellboy comics. He is a good dude. He's just also a fish. Yeah, he looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> yeah. Who also wasn't a terrible creature, actually. <laughs> like, they yeah. portrayed him as, like, mostly just kind of, like, clueless and curious until people started trying to kill him. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of these monsters as other narratives in Guillermo del Toro films. Crimson Peak is actually not bad one. The monsters aren't the monsters. The monsters are the people. It's a really, really common Guillermo del Toro narrative. Um, I I absolutely adore Guillermo del Toro's movies for the most part. So, yeah. Yeah, he he can do a good one. Okay, so... Uh, a couple other examples here, uh, Swamp Thing. Some of the other more monstrous superheroes, like the Hulk or the Thing. Uh, you see this? Well, it's a big thing in the Hulk, yeah. yeah. You you see this a lot with like the, the big bruiser style of heroes. A lot of the time they 
have kind of a monstrous look to them. And a lot of the time they're, you know, not such bad folks. They're, you know, they tend to get a little grumpy or something, but they're, uh, they're not bad dudes. Let's go ahead and wrap it up with this delightful C.S. Lewis quote, which I, I am very fond of. And I, Peter, thank you for putting yeah. this in. Do you remember which book this is this from? This is from Mere Christianity, I believe. Mere Christianity. Thank you. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting. The pleasures of power and of hatred. For there are two things inside me competing with the human self which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who regularly goes to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it is better to be neither. It's a good quote. Yeah. From all of us here at Saving the Game, we really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it around. Let other people know about it. That does us a great deal of good. And if you want to join our Discord, we'd recommend doing that. You can find that at our website, stgcast.org. You can, of course, find us on Facebook and Twitter as Saving the Game as well. If you're uh, unfamiliar with us, Say hi, hang out, enjoy past episodes, check out Peter's blog posts, join our Discord, you know, catch our street uh, Friday streams on Twitch. You know, we, we do a bunch of stuff. It's pretty yep. great. Also, I want to give a special shout out to uh, the guy I met at the Renaissance Festival a couple weekends ago when, as of when this episode drops, who saw my T-shirt, or actually I think his wife saw my T-shirt, and then he came over and introduced himself, and uh, we had a, a brief chat. It was good meeting you. How'd you meet a listener? He, he was very excited. Uh, no, uh, somebody who had never heard of the show before oh. and uh, was very excited to know about Excellent. it. So that was fun. Yeah. From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll get you next time. Have a good one, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.